This is the Home Health Revealed podcast. Hear stories from real industry leaders discussing topics affecting the ever-changing home health industry. Welcome to Home Health Revealed podcast. I am your host, Mike Greenlee, and like always, I have my co-host here, Hannah Bell. Hannah, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you, Michael? I'm great. Uh, had a great weekend, played golf. I shot really bad, um, but I'm getting... I think I'm getting worse, actually, technically. But it was Mother's Day, so you didn't golf all weekend, right? I did not golf on okay. Sunday, no. But I did hear an interesting story, and I got to share this, and I need your thoughts on it. Because right. I think this is where, I got two stories, because I think this is where the world's going. So I watched this documentary on Netflix. You got Netflix? Yes. Yeah. Remember when Netflix was like twelve ninety nine? It's like nineteen ninety. Do you remember when you got it in the mail? Yeah. yeah. Two, you got two discs if you're cool. <laughs> Uh, But anyway, so I was watching this documentary and and it's on AI and they had this guy on here that literally left his wife for his AI girlfriend. What? No. I swear to you. I swear to you. That's what happened. And there's this program that, and I don't know the company. I don't remember the company. I could, I guess I could rewind it, but that based off how much you pay, your AI person can change. And if you know what I mean by that, that's probably the cleanest way I can put it. Change. Okay. Change. change. Um, but yeah, so yeah, he, and he had kids and everything. And he admitted on Netflix that he's in love with this AI person. Well, I, I don't have any words for that. So I don't you, know how what, you fall what, in love with an AI girlfriend. What would you do if Jeff came upstairs, grabbed a cup of coffee and said, Hannah, I'm cheating on you with my AI girlfriend? What would you say? I would say, how's your coffee? Because I know she's not making me any. I think it's I think it's a fascinating story. But I do think that's where the market's going. Then on top of that, I was on Netflix, or I was on uh, Instagram. Okay. And there is this gal that has, uh, she's an influencer. She's an influencer. And uh, she got with this, te- this technology company. And they... Like, uh, you know how they can do like, uh, whatever she says, it can repeat, you know, like a Siri or whatever. Uh-huh. So they did that with her. And so you can date her for a dollar a minute. Guess how? guess how much money she made last week. I don't know. How many minutes are there in she, a week? She made $72,000. I'm in the wrong business. Week. And she's, she just said from then on, she just had a 2000% increase. Two thousand percent. Yeah. Okay, but relationships are bi-directional. You can't really have a relationship with artificial intelligence. So I was thinking about that. Okay. And I was thinking, hey, I don't, I don't know if they can talk back. And you like that? No, I don't actually. <laughs> See, I. I think it's a fascinating story. I both stories are fascinating. I don't know. I do think this is where it's going. You, you keep hearing about it. I just thought they're fascinating, so I thought I'd share it. Anyways, um. So that would, no thank you, but that is really interesting. And I think I have seen educationally how even like Khan Academy is coming out with AI and it's kids are able to talk to them. They are able to impersonate characters, even historical characters, so that you can have a realistic conversation. All of that is very fascinating to me. I think it's scary, really. Scary too, depending on what, it's all in what you do with it. Well, we're not here to talk about AI, are we? No, we are not. What do we have going on today? We have a guest today that we got to meet in person. And I know it's really exciting when you get to meet people in real life these days. Um, We met her at the Missouri Alliance Conference in Missouri in April. 
uh, just last month. We're still kind of coming off of that. And she was a really neat person. She was a presenter and um, wanted to get the chance to talk more to her, get some feedback from her, and kind of hear her expertise. But Shirley Gamble is with us today, and she is um, a fellow of the American College of Healthcare Executives. She serves on the Missouri Alliance for Home Care's Board of Directors. She also serves on the chap- uh, Missouri chapter of the American College of Healthcare Executives as the membership chair. So she is very involved in the industry. She's a mom. She has three kiddos, ages 13 to 22, and she has been married for almost 23 years. Awesome. I know. She could have done less time for murder. Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> I'm just joking. I, I can't believe you said that. I know. We can but edit that, that out. But that is true. It depends. You know? <laughs> Just joking, okay? We were talking about good relationships, not with AI. I, I think Shirley hung up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> she, I'm just kidding. She enjoys traveling and reading books. Same, girl, same. So, uh, Michael, if you'll tell us who this podcast is brought to us by, we will bring her in. I'll do it. This podcast is brought to you by Health Rev Partners. That's the name of our company. Grow your agency and expand your mission with high-powered revenue cycle management partner, Powered by Velocity, the most advanced coding and billing software in the market for transparency, analytics, and clinical intelligence. Welcome, Shirley. Hey, Shirley. Hello. Hey, Hi. Shirley. How did you How did you feel about that comment that uh, you could you know, <laughs> about the whole murder thing? I, I will admit that I laughed because it's it's kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little CSI going on. Yeah. I mean, I take it back. Okay, I take it back, but it's true. I'm watching a uh, new show on Paramount called uh, Fatal Attraction. Have you guys seen it? No. Okay. You, you watch a lot of TV. It's fan- it's actually fantastic. With Michael Douglas? No, it's got um Oh, what's the guy from Dawson's Creek? It's Jackson. Um what was his What was his name, name? In, jo- uh, in What was his name in Johnson uh, Johnson Creek? Uh, Dawson's Creek. I don't know. That was a little bit before my time. Are you trying to Google it right now? Yeah, right I'm now? Googling him right now. Joshua uh, Jackson. No, but uh, uh, but his his name and the character. What was it? Uh, uh, what the, why do I want to say Percy? Yeah, what did you say, Percy? Cursey? Cursey. That's no. what I said, but I'm not sure I'm right. Uh, it's something like that. I know it is. And clearly, Hannah does not know how to use the Google because I'm not getting answers as quickly as I should be able to right now. It's coming up. Dawson's Creek alum Joshua Jackson to star in Fatal Attraction. Okay, listening to us. But anyways, go on about the about the show. Well, that's it. I mean, it's a good show. That's all I got for you. Oh my goodness. Okay, (laughs) that's it. I was just trying to test, trying to have a conversation. Shirley, it is great to have you here on Home Health Revealed. I'm going to get us right back on track. like I said, we got the chance to meet in person, and you are one of the presenters, and you specialize in improving performance and quality within the home healthcare space. So can you, we're just going to jump right in, can you tell us a little more about what you do and how you got into home healthcare? Absolutely. It is great to be here. I'll say that, Hannah and Mike, thank you so much for, um, for, for inviting me. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to chat about quality and performance improvement. I am currently working as a division director within the skilled nursing practice at Bayada Home Healthcare, where I lead a multi-state, multi-site team of phenomenal directors. They each lead one or more locations. They provide top-notch care to clients. Um, and we serve those ranging from infants to those of advanced age. Our mission, of course, is to make it possible for individuals to be able to experience a higher quality of life at home, um, usually where they choose to be, which is their home. 
I started my career, um, let's see, back, oh my, it's been 15 years or more. I started in the freelancing market, actually, as an editor and proofer. I worked um, from home while raising the children and began to just organically fall into um, nursing school documents. I had a couple of nursing schools on the East Coast who um, hired me to proof their um, frequently updated manuals and textbooks that they published themselves. And then several other, of course, non-healthcare projects were, were, of course, sprinkled in there. My journey within home care started with a smaller nonprofit offering home care services in about a dozen counties within Missouri. I worked within their quality assurance department. And then within that first year, I actually started, um, I worked with a program director to start another home care service line within them and was a supervisor there. Um, my journey then took me to a much larger organization where I was director of branch operations for a single site. And that organization was heavily involved in mergers, acquisitions, private equity activities. And from director, I moved to regional director there overseeing all sites within one state, which was Missouri. And then early this year, I actually made the transition to Bayada, where I am today. Um, Bayada offers nine specialty practices is what we call it. Skilled nursing, home health, hospice, assistive care, habilitation, behavioral health, and more to patients in 24 states. Wow. I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. <laughs> um, and then uh, my teams are located within Missouri, Minnesota, and Indiana. So uh, at the conference, did you do the karaoke? I did. I absolutely 100% did. What was it? What was it? What song did you sing? All right. So I sang two, actually. Well, I think I sang just about every song because the, we had a very, um, a very energetic crowd. We, there was a lot of crowd singing. But um, I started with my go-to karaoke song, which is Alan Jackson's Chattahoochee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love Classic. that song. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> now, sure, something that you, you talked about that, um, you know, stood out to me was the difference between quality and compliance. Um, what are some of the assumptions that you think home health agencies make um, around these areas? Yeah, absolutely. The biggest assumption um, that I would like to dispel is that qual compliance equals quality. Um, there, I've seen a lot of agencies, have been a part of agencies where they feel if they are meeting a regulatory standard that they're a quality, you know, they're a quality agency and everybody thinks that about them. But as you mentioned, they're not synonymous. Certainly, following regulatory guidelines is, is a part of quality. 100%, you can't have quality without compliance, but it's only one component. Um, so I like to think of quality as referring to not just what shows up on an audit tool or a file review, but what your clients and employees are actually saying as well. That is incredibly important. We know that we know that clients and employees are becoming much more discerning and quality matters to them and certainly compliance matters to them, but it's only one piece of it. Um, and quality also includes your financial performance. Are you establishing a foundation of security and that will ensure your, your clients will have continuity of care with you and that your employees can trust the longevity of their jobs? Are you investing profits into improving the organization? Are your clients' needs met? Um, are you investing uh, profits into improving the organization as a whole? Um, do your employees refer their acquaintances to your organization? Are you communicating openly with clients and employees? Do your field employees feel included in the team dynamic? 
So a quality program, I think, addresses all of those, um, as well as looping in your mission and values. And I'm fairly certain I wasn't completely comprehensive in that question. There just are a lot of aspects to what a, a full quality campaign really should look like. Yeah. So what, what I kind of took away from what you said was uh, regulatory is, is minimum. And then quality right. is above and beyond that. And I love Hannah. that you mentioned, what's that? Oh, I just said, Hannah, that's a great way to state it. Um, I love that you mentioned that if your, your own people are referring their friends and their family to your organization, that uh, comes with so many layers, right? That they feel like they belong. They feel like what they're doing matters. They feel like the organization that they belong to um, exhibits quality enough to have the people that they love and care about come into care. That's a great testament for quality. Well, um, you know, one of the things that we always talk about too, uh, which ties into what you're saying is we always tell our service team that everything you do, do it as if it was your own agency, because that, that really eliminates any excuse or whatever you can give, because it, if it's $5, a hundred thousand dollars, I mean, it's money's money. And, and with the thin margins, you got to get that collections. Right. So if a home health or hospice agency wants to improve their quality, where is it that you suggest they start and what influences the decision about what items go into maybe a performance plan? Absolutely. So that's a really big question. (laughs) Um, The low hanging fruit, I know we just said compliance does not equal quality, but the low hanging fruit really is, as you mentioned, it's the minimum, it's the minimum standard of excellence we have, which is regulatory compliance, Um, because it's already written out, it's established, and in many cases, you're going to already have benchmarks that you can kind of set yourself against. You know what the goal you're trying to reach is. But after regulatory, I I, want to say people. People is definitely where you need to start. And when I say people, I would start with employees um, and then prioritize your field employees for home care providers. And why am I thinking field employees? Because we don't see them daily and they work independently of others. And out of sight, out of mind, we've all said it. We probably um, say that to ourselves daily potentially, but that's a very real concern when it comes to our field staff. And it's especially important as we navigate these staff shortages that I am sure you've had a multitude of guests talking about over the last few years at least and continue to overcome all of the challenges that have to set the healthcare industry just within those last three years outside of staff shortages. I uh, was recently at a meeting at Bayada and I heard someone state that our clients will never have a better experience than our employees do. And that statement really resonated with me. Yes. We have to start our employees. We have to know their opinions on whether we're doing good by them. Do they agree with us? When we say we're a mission-minded organization, do our employees agree with leadership? Are we mission-minded? Do they feel appreciated? Are they supported? We can say all day long that we support our field staff, but do they agree with that statement? Your employees can also give you a great huge picture of how well you're living your values and actually walking out that mission. Are your employees promoters or detractors? You could absolutely talk about a net promoter score within here as well, but if our employees are not engaged, committed, and supported by us, our clients will know that, and that will shape their opinion and longevity with us. Yes. Um, and one of the quotes, you know, while we're just throwing out quotes, those, that was a great one, by the way. I love that. Our clients will never have a better experience than our employees do. Um, but one of the quotes that you used in your presentation was actually a Gucci quote, no less. 
And you said quality is remembered long after price is forgotten. It is so important to remember that agencies are offering a service. And so as such, you know, people have a choice of where they place their business. So when price is the only factor, care can be sacrificed. But also when quality prioritize, is prioritized, value and experience rise to the top. Um, so when you talk about looking at the pursuit of excellence in a performance plan and you notice that the people-centric measurements are often the weakest, although that's really where the most powerful impacts can come from in terms of patient experience and, and even uh, employee experience, how do you suggest we measure that better? There are a few options here. I think I'm going to pick the easiest, I think, to implement, and that's surveys. And we need to measure employee satisfaction and engagement. We can do that in surveys. You can make them as robust or as simple as you want. Um, I would recommend starting with a small palette, having, you know, a question that you ask periodically, maybe related to a specific outcome that you really are pushing to to, to measure so that you can have that for a, an, an initiative you're going to pursue, or it's just to increase your employee engagement in general. But I would definitely recommend surveys. And there are so many tools out there for surveys from SurveyMonkey free to um, a nominal fee. You've got so many different, and there are softwares that, uh, software programs that many of us have where you can um, utilize surveys within those software programs that we already have. So it is not I would caution us to, and, and I want to say us, I caution us as healthcare leaders who have 1 million things to do already on a day-to-day -day basis. I am speaking as one of them, right? But I would caution us, to, even though we think this is something little and we may not get much out of it, you might not initially, but as you continue to have a pattern of putting out a survey and getting results, you're going to start seeing, getting a real good picture of the, um, just the environment, the temperature, so to speak. I like to call my director sometimes and say, so what's the temperature in your office today? Especially if I know they've like, they've got an audit that just came through or something like that. I like to just call and say, what's the temperature, right? That's, that's also a way to kind of measure better is to make sure that we are having those conversations and one-on-ones, absolutely. But surveys allow us to have a mechanism in place to gather quantifiable data, right? We can get a yeah. lot of data with a little bit of effort with surveys and they can measure, as I said, they can be simple or robust. And I know of several large organizations, probably most large organizations, they do smaller surveys throughout the year and then they do one more robust survey once a year where they ask more questions. Um, but I definitely, and surveys you can do for your clients as well as your employees. So this, this may seem like a lot to, to, put into place, especially, you know, for a smaller or mid-sized agency that's just starting to think through some of these processes that they have in place currently. How do you go about delivering the results of some of these formatted assessments? And then what what's it look like ongoing in that delivery of the information, either look like from what Beata was doing or, or maybe from other experience that you've had? Yeah, absolutely. Um, delivering the results of your employee engagement activities is vital. Um, first, what? What should we be communicating? Um, the results of the surveys as well as, and this is probably the most important part, the actions you're going to take based on those results, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is done, I found most efficiently, it's done through writing or a webcast, like where we invite all of our 
field team in and those that can go ahead and dial in are a part of that. And we record that and then send the link out to everyone who couldn't. Um, but I'm also a fan of writing um, newsletters are, are, are a favorite of mine because you're able to kind of present something in a nice format for them. I would, um, but dissemination of your, your response um, shows your employees that you're listening and taking what they say into consideration. So you're, you're putting value on them when you, when you're showing them, Hey, you guys said this, and this is what we're going to do about that. Um, a really simple example of this is an informal survey. I know I just had a team that did an informal survey. I think it was survey monkey even, and just said, Hey, what time of day and day of the week is better for you to come into the office for us to have an appreciation of it, right? Because we can plan appreciation events and most or all of us do as home care providers, but getting your field employees into those is the challenge I have found <laughs> in every yeah. organization I've been a part of help. That's the problem is getting everybody in. Well, they, they sent that like couple of questions out and they got 75% of their workforce to respond. And of that majority, they were able to say, see that 48% said that noon on Tuesdays was the best time and day. So they were able to hold that. And so then now, though, what do they do? They're not just going to have a noon on Tuesday event. They're going to broadcast and say and send out a mass email and say, thank you. We had 75% of you guys who, who responded. That's a total of X number. And nearly half of you that responded said that noon on Tuesday. So we are going to plan this event on the second Tuesday of next month at noon. We've reserved a food truck in our parking lot. Come on by, lunch is on us, right? Nice. So, yeah, it not only says that we're listening, but it also, when you share the number of results, it shows those who didn't get their answer picked why. So it doesn't devalue them when you choose what the majority chose because you're explaining your why. So, yes, yeah. um, as I said already, I'll put a plug in here for newsletters again, whatever form of written communication, even if it's just uh, if it's an email, I want to just say, take a few minutes to make it look nice. I think that is also another way when we're presenting that we are organized with our presentation, but we put a few moments in there. Most of your employees are going to notice that extra few minutes. And again, that's another small way, really small investment in time to to value your employees. That is great. And that's a great example and a very positive one because your people are the ones that are providing the service. And so whatever it is that they're providing, whatever it is you're doing as an organization, you can quantify, you can measure, and then you can improve on it. Um, what are some ways that agencies can tackle maybe some more challenging things that they may be facing in an area of service? What all might that look like? So in the presentation that I provided at the uh, conference, we talked about service, uh, kind of three areas of service. The first being care that's provided. Um, is it appropriate and aligned with the plan of care? But then also reimbursement for that care. Um, is it timely? Is it accurately processed? Do we um, have accurate documentation to back up those billing claims, right? And then also outcomes. Um, we talked about, um, especially when considering value-based care models, because we have seen the industry shift that direction. Is the care provided reducing negative outcomes or increasing positive outcomes or both? That'd be great if both were happening. Yeah. Um, so, so to tackle service-related problems, um, we we first have to know there's a problem, right? Yeah. For most of the topics that we talked about, 
our EMRs and our EVV systems, um, they have embedded reporting systems to alert us to results that are outside of our expected parameters. Um, at the very least, I think all, at least the ones I've been involved in, at the very least, reports can pull data from databases and we can then put them into Excel and sort them and filter them and look for our own. I'm kind of an Excel, like a, a nerd um, when it comes to that. I enjoy doing that. I have so many systems that give me a lot of information, but sometimes I just want the information in a spreadsheet so I can look at it the way I want to look at it, right? Right. Love, it's a control I thing. I love pivot tables. <laughs> exactly. Like, this is what I want to know today. Um, yes. So, love that. Um, but at the very least, we can do something like that and we can look for results that we want or highlight those results that, you know, we don't want to see. Um, so typically when one of these service areas, one of those three areas are things that we are, we are looking at that are challenging or we're getting results we don't like, typically my first thought is training. We need to, whether it's training field staff on the plan of care or training our RCM team members on processes. Training is usually the expect my first stop when it comes to any of these areas being of concern. Are we struggling with timely billing? Okay, well, we're gonna dig in and we're gonna look at our entire process top to bottom and anywhere we see a potential snag, we're gonna invest some training time in there. And that's the first thing I would do. And then after training, if we continue to not see, maybe we do see a, a process revamp and then I, I like getting a, at least a group of stakeholders together to put their input on how we can improve the system. So kind of going a step further there with both training, but then also when you continue to have problems and it's not just training, but there's a process problem, getting the whole group together or at least stakeholders from the whole group, right? We can't get a hundred people around the table, but, but we can get five or six that are part of every particular team and really start brainstorming solutions as well. Yeah. Um, so we've got the why, then we've kind of got the follow-up because data is only as good as what you do with it. But have, right. you, have you ever come across a situation, um, and this is just me thinking through data, where what is being measured within your services is not being accurately depicted? So maybe your outcomes are being incorrectly documented or reimbursements not coming back as anticipated. Um, what can really be done there? Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that with EVV and aggregator systems and things like that, I am going out on a limb to say probably every home care provider has been looking at their data coming in at one point or another. Maybe they transitioned, which is the experience I immediately thought of, transitioning to a new EVV platform, right, where our yeah. field staff are now to implement data into a phone or tablet or some other device, right? Um, so yeah, absolutely. When we're sitting there looking at the numbers and data coming in and we're like, well, why, why are they performing those tasks? This client doesn't even have that need, right? And so yes. we, we knew there were things that were coming in wrong. So incorrect button pushes, incorrect coding. In those cases, you know, when we were implementing the new systems, we were looking at the screen from shift number one. We knew when the first person for that day was clocking in, we were looking at the screen, what is coming through immediately. Um, and so in that case, we were looking, we were paying attention in real time to go ahead and call, coach them through the process, retrain them. Over the last several years, we have had, you know, as we have been a part of some software transitions within organizations, we've had to do, we've invested heavily in in-person training where I was sending 
people to client homes to be there with the, the clinician or the field staff in the home, making sure and, and helping them push the right buttons, right? Or what does this screen mean? Or troubleshooting problems. Oh my goodness, the amount of troubleshooting we've had to do with EVC has been, we probably all feel like we deserve some kind of certification in uh, tech issues at this point. Um, so, but anyway, going back to your question. So sometimes this showed us how um, we could make the process easier, actually. Um, I am known for saying my job is to make compliance easy. And EVV is all about compliance, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so my job is to make compliance easy. So in doing that, in, in investing in those field trainings, we, we started to see patterns. And that showed us how we could make the process easier. Let's remove a screen. Maybe there's one fewer screen we can have in the, the program, right? On the phone, on the tablet. And then another great example is, do we need text entry for each task or each question? Or can we phrase the questions as a yes or no and have an easy ticker box to select to make that data point more efficiently gathered and more specific or more um, just efficiency is a big deal in the field. If yes. you do some wrongs, if you're in the home, there can be a lot going on. And if we can make compliance easy, if we can make them having to enter into their tablet less challenging, we have already done a lot for the quality of our employees um, experience. So, um, but then going back to your question about the, the income, we are, or the, the input of data and what we're getting, we have made a lot of changes to how we've gathered data just based on that on-site, watching them go through it, paying attention to their struggles and their pain points seeing if there is a consistent error platform, like are we constantly getting errors on one particular part of the data we're asking for? Well, then let's go out and monitor and see how they're using it and see how we can make it better. Yes. Um, and just as another note, I think this has probably um, been evident in what I've said, but an organization's processes and their forms, whether they're electronic or paper, they have a tremendous impact on the quality of their services. Yes. And I really like that you guys do in person. It's, it's not just because I'm an extrovert, although I really am. Um, I think <laughs> doing things in person where you're side by side, you know, doing that preceptorship or just that mentorship where you're looking at the process and you're, it's so much easier to see where the glitches may be something you may not have thought of before. Small things become big things because they add up in the, the area of time. Um, oh, absolutely. And I don't, so we talked a little bit about regulatory. I, I really don't want to gloss over or diminish that there is this huge regulatory aspect of quality. And that does encompass a lot of information. And one of the things that you have been good about that I've seen in the short time I've known you is getting that information into your team in a very meaningful way. So can you talk a little bit about the sources that you use for regulatory and how an agency can start building networks with resources and things that they can use within their agency. Absolutely. Um, so regulations is, is, there are several sources. And I will say that um, as a leader, I'll just do a leadership plug here. As my own personal leadership style is transparent. I, I just want you to have all of the information possible because if you have the information, you're able to make better decisions, right? So yeah. I don't, we have a wonderful regulatory team, a compliance credentialing. We have these teams, right? And they do help us and support our operations. 
but I expect our operational directors to know the regulations. They need to be getting that. They need to understand because that just helps them in their day-to-day. How are they going to know why? I, I'm a big fan of why, right? How are yeah. they going to know why you can only serve X, Y, Z unless they understand the regulations that are around their service line? So regulations. So just to list a few, um, state agencies and departments. For instance, in Missouri, the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services or MoHealthNet are great resources for your manuals, your code of state regulations, CMS, CAP accreditation standards, Joint Commission, that's again, just to name a few, um, but putting that information not only in my hands, but also in the hands of our team. And I am a very big, um, even if you're not required to have in services for your leaders or for your office staff do it anyway. (laughs) Do it anyway. Have in services where you are re-educating or you're highlighting certain parts of your regulations or certain parts of your policies and processes as an agency. Continued education because we do have one million things. This is very easy for those things that are necessary to just lose focus because of the immediacy of certain things that we're dealing with every day. So, when talking about how to start making that and how to start um, building networks with your resources, um, uh, generally when considering opening a home care agency, contracting documents require that you read regulations or you have to at least sign an attestation that you did. Yeah. Uh, so you'll uh, likely start to craft a relationship with your credentialing body from that moment. I have, I have contacts even today. We're LinkedIn contacts because they were part of the Missouri Medicaid Audit and Compliance Unit, and we just, they were phenomenal resources to me, and I was able to answer a couple of questions for them from a, a provider standpoint as well, so we're still, you know, contacted and connected today, so you're going to start crafting relationships with your credentialing body, like, immediately. Um, hopefully, you get one that is with you for a while, so you can actually develop that relationship. But then also, I highly suggest membership in your state's home care association. I cannot, I cannot more profoundly um, say do that <laughs> than I am right now. If you can attend the annual conferences, and if you can as a leader, if you can bring other leaders from your organization in as well, um, then you'll not only meet experts among your competitors, but you will also likely hear from agents of those state departments that we mentioned earlier. Um, I have found fellow members of our association here in Missouri, I'm the most closely attuned to that one. Um, They're helpful resources for questions, and I've been honored that they've come to me with questions, and I've been able to help them as well. Um, They were great sounding boards when we were all navigating the complexities of the pandemic. And then in Missouri, in the last uh, 24 months, we've been really talking about the legalization of marijuana, and it's been great to have a cohort of people who were navigating that together for us to bounce those ideas off of and talk about this is what's working here. And I know in, um, well, in business, right, in any business, we can feel the competitor or, you know, we're trying to do what's best for us. But honestly, in home care, I have found that we are all wanting as many people in our state as possible to be able to be home. And we know we can't do it all. And we are trusting and relying on each other to do that. So having a, having a mindset where we're all in this, when we're all succeeding, um, when one of us succeeds, we're all succeeding, right? Yes. When we're figuring that out, having that mindset, that's a great, a great way to get in there. But having that association, and then I'll just also say, you should absolutely subscribe to any listserv, join the mailing list, um, all of that. Yes, your inbox will get full, 
but you will be informed and educated. <laughs> yeah, join the Home Health Reveal podcast. That's that should be on the list. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, you've 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 given us awesome insight to this. In fact, I even missed one of the questions I was supposed to ask because I was so in tune to what you're you were saying and Hannah was looking at me and I was like, I forgot to ask the question. I gave him the evil eye. She don't worry. Evil, but I was just, I was listening to you and I was, yeah. You, know, <laughs> you but, gave such great information. Yeah. But I, you know, really this is why, this is why we do this. You, you know, that when we find people that are just extraordinarily awesome at what they do, like yourself, it's always fun to have them because I believe, you know, I believe in the sharing of ideas. Every idea I think I've had, I've stole it from somebody. You know what I mean? I like this Gucci one. I'm going to sell that Gucci quote. I love that Gucci quote. I know. Me too. Yeah. It is Gucci. Yeah. I'm going to write them up. Like, hey, I'm going to put this on the website. But hey, let me, okay. Two more questions before we let you go. Are you ready okay. for these? All right. Maybe. Be what is the best leadership book you ever read? And then number two, if you were to write a leadership book, what would the title be? Oh man, those are great questions. Right? So I will have to that my list of books or my stack of books as I'm looking at my bookcase right now to read is just as long as the stack of books to, that I've read <laughs> so I'm constantly buying more books um, but there are some really like just high level ones I enjoyed how did that happen by Roger Connors and Tom Smith it really talks about well the I think the the subtitle actually gives it a great description, holding people accountable for results, the positive principled way, how to show people, you know, maybe you're not hitting the mark, but here's how we can and partnering with them to do that. And really what kind of parameters do you need in place to, to build just that trusting, open, transparent environment. So that one was really, I actually have read that multiple times and just last year, um, with my group at Kindred at Home as leaders, we had uh, the directors and I all went through a chapter of that book every month in 2022. It was really great, um, really great feedback and thought processes and, and new ideas that came out of that conversation. That sounds like a good one for us to do with our team. Okay, but now it's the big question. Now, I know. She's, got, she's been delaying this. She gave us a really long answer because she's like, holy cow, i got to come up with the title. We need a title and subtitle. Yeah, here, before you give yours, I'll, sh okay. I'll, share, I'll, I'll share you what mine would be. Mine would be the, okay. the island on the green. Ah. Only because my last name, only last name's Greenlee. It's the only reason why. The island on the green. Oh, yeah. And what would it be about? What would the subtitle be? I haven't gotten that far. I got my title. That's all that matters. Okay. Hmm. You got your title? Yeah, I'm moving. Well, it, so I might cheat a little bit on this because I have, um, I would call it engaging leadership. I think leadership is not in the ivory tower. It is right alongside elbow to elbow, and it's really influencing over having power. So I'd go with engaging leadership. Yeah, for sure. You know, we don't have inside our walls. We don't have titles. Um, I don't believe yeah. in them. Um, and then we also do, in fact, we got one coming up this Friday. We do skip level meetings where I actually uh, don't invite our leadership team. I actually meet with employees um, as a group and yeah. in, in departments because, you know, you never know what's being communicated. Right. And I always want to take time out to hear from them of, hey, how are things going? What's going on? Because, you know, a lot of our employees are remote, right? So it's even more of a challenge yeah. 
for us to really know how are things going. And Hannah does a fantastic job. We send them uh, gifts every single month. We're very good about, you know, birthdays and anniversaries. And, we try. And boys. But I think, right. I think the, the thing they love doesn't cost us money. It's just the skip level meetings where they get an opportunity to have a voice and, and, and talk. And I think that's one of the most, that's probably the best thing we do. Oh, absolutely. When I joined Bayada in my first month, I traveled to all 10 locations in the three states. I was on an airplane more than I'd been. Well, we were just coming out of COVID, so more than I'd been in a while. But it was so informative. I learned so much by going to the offices and sitting. I sat in the pit is what we call it. Um, sit in the pit with the client services managers and the clinical managers and you're, you know, you get to meet field staff as they come in and just really getting to that gave me such a wonderfully robust picture yeah. of what I was walking into. I can imagine. And it probably meant so much to them. I would think sure. to I have like- you see what they're doing, care about what they're doing. I always say people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And that is a great way to give you, give them that attention. Absolutely. Well, Shirley, I, I, I appreciate you so much taking time out of your busy day to, to be on our podcast. Um, just thank you very much for all the insight and information that you've shared with us. This is this is valuable, and, and I'm super excited to get this thing on, on the website. Yeah. Well, have um, a great well, uh, rest of your week, and uh, take care. 